The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 12. We have been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians for a number of uh, months now. Uh, Conviction, my conviction, um, I pray, your conviction as we live and serve together is that we the, the Word of God is the very Word of God, and that we need it more than we need air to breathe. Uh, and, and so we come to the Scriptures, and we preach verse by verse through these Scriptures, because the last thing you need from me is just a bunch of my opinion. If I've had a bad week, if traffic's been terrible this week, you don't need to hear me come in and preach about, you know, if you're going to drive slow, get in the right lane, you know. You don't need to hear a bunch of that. You need to hear the Word of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just say a word um, about a letter hopefully most of you received this week. How many of you received a letter from me this week? If you have not received it yet, you should be getting it, and we want you to pay attention to that. Uh, I have been, I, I, we want to ask you to begin to imagine um, imagine what you could do, what we could do as a congregation if we were all without debt, debt-free to the glory of God. Uh, the reason I, I put this before you is because I became convicted a little while back that um, looking at, at the Word of God, did you know that there are over 800 verses in the Bible that deal with money? And, and I, I became convicted a little while back that as a pastor, I was shying away from this topic of money because I didn't want you to think we were all about wanting money. And so I've stayed away from that. But the Bible speaks over 800 times dealing with money. And, and Jesus spoke very, very often about money because if you think about it, so much of our lives deal in and around money, don't they? You can't really go anywhere or do anything without it talking about it involving money. So I was staying away from this, and, and what I became convicted of was that I wasn't doing my part to teach you how to follow Christ in this important area. And so when I, I began to be convicted over this and I began to look into this issue, I found that a, a large number of divorces go back to this one issue. Divorces, family issues, fights in the home go back to, a lot of times, money issues. Uh, did some statistic research and found that the average person in America is spending a dollar and 22 cents for every dollar that they earn, that 70% of Americans are, are living paycheck to paycheck, that they're not able to really make ends meet, and there's, there's this stress around money. And I began to, to see that if I'm going to be a pastor and to lead you faithfully, then I'm going to have to do something to help teach you and equip you to be able to live how God calls you to live in this issue of money. And so this letter, you'll hear more about this in the days to come, we're, we're going to launch out on a church-wide campaign using Dave Ramsey's material, Financial Peace University, but this is not simply FPU. We're not, we're not simply wanting you to sign up and go through a class. We're wanting to change the culture here at Abner Creek. 
We want to teach you how you can live according to biblical principles and what God says about money. So we're going to launch this thing in, in September. Uh, we, are, we are on board with this, and I'm asking, we're wanting every person in the church to go through this. We want you to sign up and to go through this together because when we do that, we're going to be able to be on the same page in the process of, of being disciples. We're going to be able to talk the same language. And wouldn't it be great if we as a church family said, we're going to get serious about following God even in this area when it comes to our money. What would God do through this little church? Compared to churches around the world, this is a little church. What could God do through this little church, through you and I, if we began to follow him in this one area. So we're asking you, you'll hear more about this to come. It'll be in website and banners and newsletter and all sorts of things. You're going to see videos and all this. We want you to begin to pray about this. There will be a cost involved. We want you to begin to save so that you can, you can enter the course. But we're looking for every single person here at Abner Creek. We want every person to sign up and to go through this together. This is going to be important. We're we're looking for our kids to go through this. We're looking for youth to go through this. We want to change a generation that follows us to be able to say, you know, it's not just these other things that determine whether I'm following God. It's this thing of money as well. So I want to lead you as your pastor to be faithful in this one area. Sound good? All right, sounds good. Some of you said amen. Some of you not quite sure, but uh, we're going to pray that you get on board, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Before I read this passage, I I just want to introduce this. What does it mean to be spiritual? We live in a day where uh, people like to describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. You ever met anybody like that? You begin to talk to them about church or about God and they say, hey, 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 I'm spiritual, but I just don't really like that whole religion thing. We live in a day where people all around us don't like organized religion. People have walked away from the church. And it's not that they dislike or that they like disorganized religion. They'd rather instead individualize it. They'd rather take it apart from the church and just be associated with God, just them and God, without having to have this narrow or restricted view of God. They don't want to be confined by what the church says that, that God is like or that he's not like. They, 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 they want to be spiritual without being religious. They'd like to come to God and define him for themselves. To be able to say, well, you know, I believe God's like this. Or I could never worship a God that's like that. It's kind of like, have you ever been somewhere and, and you've been spouting your opinion about a particular person And then everybody gets quiet in the room. He's right behind me, isn't he? Well, there's a lot of people that are spouting opinions about God all the while while God's looking over their shoulder. And there's a lot of people out there that would love to create God in their own image and say, this is the God whom I could could love or I could worship or I could follow. But what if God has already defined himself? And what if he exists already? We believe that he does. We live in a day where people would would rather write their own rules, not have to play according to anybody else's rules, but they would like to define how they can, can indeed worship apart from the church or apart from anything that the Bible has to say. 
And we can, we can either become calloused and cynical about those people or we can begin to turn outwards and preach the gospel to them. The same gospel that brought you and I close. This is the day in which we live. And I would ask you, is this what it means to be spiritual? Is it okay? Is it, is it, is it okay? Can a person simply decide to be spiritual? In Corinth, here in this church, in, in Corinth that Paul is writing to, some in the church were claiming that they were spiritual. They were claiming this based on a spiritual gift that they had received, uh, particularly the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues. And, uh, and they were using this gift to say, well, those who have this gift, they are obviously spiritual. And then they were looking at brothers and sisters within the church and saying, they don't have the gift, so at le- they're, they're not spiritual or at least not as spiritual. And this is a, an argument that continues to go on today. And I probably will not get all the way through verse 11 today, and therefore I won't get into this issue of tongues today in great depth. But I want to answer this question today. What does it mean to be spiritual? In the church in Corinth, there were those that didn't have certain abilities, and therefore they were made to feel like second-class citizens or second-rate in the church. There were some that were viewed and viewing themselves as varsity, and they were looking at all those others that didn't have those particular gifts and saying that they were junior varsity, that they, they were, you know, on the team, but maybe they don't get to play. There were some in the church that were looking at themselves as if they were members of an elite SEAL team, SEAL Team 6, while there were others in the church who were confined to just peel potatoes in the mess hall. Is this how it should be in the church? Are there some members of the church that are more important than others? Are there some members of the church that aren't needed at all? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, I believe this passage shows us some things. Let's begin looking at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, by the one Spirit. To another, the, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Let me just go one step further and read verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, and all the, the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Yesterday, as I was putting the finishing touches on this sermon, 
And Lana, who's worked all summer with the children toward this, this musical that they're going to perform tonight, she was working on the program yesterday, and she was asking me about a, a particular version of the verse that she wanted to put on the front of this program for tonight. Well, she chose this musical back months ago, probably back in April or so. I began to walk through this book of 1 Corinthians together with you months ago. And did you know that the verse that this musical is built around is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12? The sovereignty of God has led us all to this point because I believe God wants us to see some things about the body of Christ, the family of God, His church his bride today. So let me ask you this question. Who are the really spiritual people? If the world out there is saying, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And the church sometimes can say, well, I'm hyper-spiritual. I'm more spiritual than others. You ever been around somebody that you just think, man, they are godly. And you just feel ashamed of yourself at times because they're so godly. Well, that's okay because there's going to be people that are, that, that, that are further along in walking with Christ than you are, but the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And we're never to compare one another's gifts and say, well, I'm closer to God than you are because we're all brought near one way, and that's through the blood of Christ. So who are the really spiritual people? Verse 1, Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, he's using here the word that they chose. If you'll remember in going through Corinthians, he's responding to questions that they have raised in a letter that they wrote to him. There's things going on in the church, and the church is very divided. There's one group saying this, and there's one group saying that, and Paul's responding to them. And the word he uses here for spiritual gifts is the word that they wrote to him. And really, that word really probably shouldn't be translated spiritual gifts at that one place as much as it should be translated spiritual gifts people or spiritual ones because he sees here there's an issue in this church of them saying who's the really spiritual here who's closer to God the same way that James and John and the other disciples jockeyed for position around the throne of Christ when he entered into his kingdom still goes on in the church in Corinth and it still goes on in the church of God today and Paul here wants to address this from using their language who are the really spiritual people? He says, according to, when it comes to spirituality, I don't want you to be uninformed. So, who are these spiritual people? Well, Paul wants them to see in verse 2, it's not the pagan who worships mute idols. Look at what he says in verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. There were those in the church... Those who are, who are now in this church claiming spiritual status, these, these there that are claiming this spiritual status, that they're more spiritual or that they even are spiritual, are the same ones who, before they came to know Christ, were the very ones who fell down before idols. And, and Paul here uses this language and says, let me just remind you of who you were. You at one time thought in that moment, you were sincere and you thought that in that moment you were being spiritual. But your spirituality that you thought you had was leading you to mute idols. Idols that have no answers. They can't give you any help because they were 
blocks of wood or pieces of stone or precious jewelry or whatever the case may be. He says, you were led away thinking sincerely that you were being spiritual in this moment. You were really foolish. There are people all around us today, church, there are people all around us today that in their sincerity believe that they are being spiritual. That they are pursuing God. That they are going about things the right way. They believe what they're doing, what they're thinking. The pursuit itself is earning them favor with God. That they are right with God. And they may be doing it in a sincere way, but they're going about it in wrong ways. Listen to what happened. I've read this passage but before, but, but listen to this. And just hear as the writer here in Isaiah recalls what happened. Isaiah 44, verses 12 through 20. Listen. He's talking about those that were making idols. He says, The ironsmith takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails, but he drinks no water and he's faint. The carpenter stretches a a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars. Or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread also. Also he he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire over the half He eats meat, he roasts it, and and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to, to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Now, you work with people. You go to school with people who are doing this very same thing. They may not be cultivating a tree out in, the, 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 in their yard and going to one day cut it down and use half of it for firewood and half of it make a God that they will bow down to, but they are following after false gods nonetheless, and they are doing it sincerely. I don't know if you heard that in that passage, that they don't even think about it. They, they, don't, they don't understand. They don't back up and say, this is foolish because half of this I'm using for this purpose and half of this I'm calling it my God and asking it to deliver me. You're living among a people. Maybe there's somebody in this room and you're not a Christian. And you see yourself in this. That you're pursuing after these Things that you think in some way give you favor with God, that it has become your God, and you are sincere in this. Christian, in this room, think back to before you came to know Christ. 
Some of you, it was just a matter of months or a few years ago. Others of you, like me, it's been a long time. Think about how sincerely you approached certain things, thinking that it itself was going to save you in some way. Maybe it was church attendance or church membership, or maybe it was being active and participating in the ministry of the church, or maybe it was being a good neighbor to those that lived around you, or maybe it was just being a good citizen and paying your taxes and showing up places that you should show up. Maybe it was all sorts of things, but here Paul says... That the one who is truly spiritual is not the pagan. It's not the pagan. It's not the one who sincerely pursues these things. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. It's a simple illustration, but if, but if I were to set out today from this place thinking in my mind, I'm going to Atlanta, but instead of getting on 85 South, I get on 85 North, I'm not going to get to Atlanta. And there are people all around you, maybe people in this room, that are sincerely thinking they are heading toward God, but they are sincerely wrong. You may be sincerely wrong. And Paul says, it's not the pagan who's spiritual. He reminds them of their past. And secondly, he says that it's not the religious person who does not know who Jesus is. Verse 3, the first part of verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. Now, Paul here is referencing the common sentiment of the Jews in that day. This is what's quoted here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It's a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, where God explains that if anyone is hung on a tree, then it's a, it means that he's cursed of God. It was, Deuteronomy outlines this practice of what should happen to a criminal. This is capital punishment here. So when this, this was laid out for them in Deuteronomy, and then when Jesus came claiming to be the Messiah, and he went to the cross, and he was hung on a tree, in their minds, he was a stumbling block, is what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. They looked at this and they said, no way, there's, there's no way that Jesus could truly be the Messiah because cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree could not wrap their minds around this. And what Galatians chapter 3 tells us is that, yes, indeed, he was cursed. But it was not his curse. It was ours. It was yours and it was mine for our sin. He became cursed for us. Our sin is, makes us cursed before God. God is holy and he is righteous. And one day he will judge every sin. There is wrath that is coming but when he sent Jesus, he wasn't sending just some, some great example or some good teacher. He was sending the Messiah, the very Son of God, who would go to be hung on a tree to take the curse of all who would ever believe in him. And Paul here says, it's not the religious person who does not know who Jesus is. He's referring here to the Jewish people. And he says to them, there's not many of you, most of you were pagans. You weren't Jews. The word pagan there is, is the word ethne. It means nations. And in that day, the Jewish people believed that they were the nation and all the others were nations. And he says, most of you in this church, you were 
the, the nations. You were pagans. You were ethnic. You were out there. But he says even those that are religious, even those that are part of the nation of God, after his own choosing, if they don't understand who Jesus is, they're not spiritual. This is why he says here, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, I used to read this, this passage, verse 3 of chapter 12, and say, well, I don't, how can that be? Because I could be lost, and I could be without Christ, and I don't have the Spirit of God, and I can, I can verbally say Jesus is accursed. I proved it when I just read it. Or I, I can be without Christ, be without the Spirit of God, and, and I can say Jesus is Lord because it's simply words that are formed with, with breath and the tongue and the vocal box. It's, it's, it's just words. What Paul here is meaning is that he understands that nobody without the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed and truly mean it. That if we all know this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, but, but we all know that there, if you are a believer here, that there was a moment where the Spirit of God opened your eyes. And what used to be dumb to you, what used to make no sense to you, what used to be a waste of time to you, all of a sudden became the treasure that was worth leaving everything for, right? And he says, nobody who's really speaking of the Spirit of God can say Jesus is a curse because once your eyes are open and you see that, you can't say that anymore. Not mean it. There are also people around us who are religious but they don't know who Jesus is. I believe, and this is one of the scariest thoughts to me as a pastor, but I believe that every time we gather together and people fill these seats, that there are people in this very room that fill these seats that maybe come every week. Maybe they come Wednesday nights. Maybe, maybe they're here all the time. Maybe they've participated in all sorts of things through the year. They've taught vacation Bible school and all these things. I believe one of the scariest things to me is that there are people who are religious but don't know who Jesus is. They could tell you all the facts about him. They could give mental assent to him, but they can't truly tell you who he is. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 when he says in verse 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I believe the way this happens in our churches for a person to come and sit under the preaching of God's word for years is because we have, we have lowered the standard of what it means to follow Christ. Don't you hear this in Matthew chapter 7? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Here's what he means. He doesn't mean that you've got to do a certain amount of things, that you've got to obey the law in order to be made right with God. What he means is that if you receive Christ by faith, it will show up in the way you live. 
David Platt, in his book, Follow Me, he gives the, the illustration. It's a powerful illustration. He says, what if you and I had an appointment for lunch, and you sat in the restaurant where I was supposed to meet you, and I was 30 minutes late, and at the end of 30 minutes, I come rushing in, and I'm out of breath, and I begin to apologize, and I say, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was on my way here, and I, I had a flat tire, so I pulled off to the side of the road, and as I was changing that flat tire, I, I wasn't thinking, and I stepped backwards out into traffic, and before I knew it, a Mack truck about 70 miles an hour hit me head on and it hurt but I picked myself up and cleaned myself off finished changing the tire and got here as quickly as I can I'm sorry I'm late now in that moment you know that that person is either deceived or they are flat out lying why because if a person gets hit by a Mack truck they're going to look very different right David Platt makes the point that when the grace of the Almighty God shines into your life and turns you from dead to alive and shows you the glory of the gospel and leads you to repent that He forgives your sin and He transforms you to follow Him and to live with Him forever, you're also going to look very different. We have dumbed down and watered down what it means to follow Christ. And we've simply said things like, pray this prayer. Walk this aisle. Get wet. Imagine telling that to a person who's living in the 1040 window. In the Middle East, where Christianity is hated. And Islam is hated. Not just religion, but it is the way of life. And there's a person that's in this Islamic family there, and if they were to ever leave Islam, if they were to ever leave their faith, they would not only lose their family and everything around them, but it would mean that their life would be over, that their family would kill them. Now imagine telling a person about God's plan of rescuing them, that they are lost in their sin, But it doesn't have to be that way. God's going to judge. But but God in His mercy sent Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a death that was not meant for Him, but it was their death. And what if by God's grace that person began to ask, what have I got to do to be saved? What, What do I have to do to receive this? And we simply said, well, pray this prayer and sign this card and show up at church and walk that aisle. Oh, and make sure that you get baptized. Only, only in contexts like ours does that make sense. Following Jesus is not simply something that happens at a once, one time somewhere back in your past and it makes no difference in your life. When you come to Christ, you are coming saying, Jesus, my life is over. I'm walking away from my life in the same way that those first disciples walked away and left the nets on the shore and the boats on the shore and followed Jesus. That you're leaving it all, regardless of what it costs you. I recently got a letter in the mail from my grandfather, and I had never heard his testimony. But there was a time when, when my uncle Frankie, when, they, when he was small, became very ill, was, was bitten by an insect, I think it was a tick, I think is what it was, and almost died. And my grandfather told me the testimony of how in that moment he turned to God and said, God, if you'll let my son live... I'll spend the rest of my days following you. 
I had never heard that from my, my grandfather. But I can say today, my Uncle Frankie did live. My, my Uncle Frankie lived a wayward life but got saved later in life. He, he, he's, he's passed away now. But my grandfather, who is 88, just turned 88 this year, is the most godly man I know. Why? Because when he came to Christ, it made a difference. It changed him. And Paul here says that you want to know who the spiritual people are among you? It's not the ones who are religious who don't really know who Jesus is. Paul says the spiritual people among you are the ones who truly say Jesus is Lord. This is the last part of verse 3, and this is where I'll close out today. Paul does not mean one who simply mouths these words. Remember? It's not simply just saying these words, but he means somebody who says them and means them, who lives under the lordship of Christ, who comes to to Christ and says, my life's not my own, it's yours, I'm alive in you. If, If I'm not alive in you, I have no life at all. Paul here knows that no one is spiritually alive until they have been made alive in Christ. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 is all about. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We were carrying out the We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. Paul here knows that that dead people don't talk. That dead people don't make professions. That dead people, they don't, they don't get up and walk around. And he says to them, the only people that are spiritual among you are those that have been made alive in Christ. And it will show up in the way that they live. Ephesians 2 is that story. There are other places in Scripture that shows that, that the one who professes Christ, he's only spiritual if... It shows up in his profession. He lives under the lordship of Christ. Remember what the Bible says? And even the demons believe. They shudder at the fact of knowing, knowing Jesus is the Son of God. They, they shudder at that. They have mental assent. They can tell you who he is, but they don't live under his lordship. They're not saved. Hear me on this. I I don't want this sermon to seem judgmental and pointing fingers. I want you to hear this. If you're here in this room today and you're a non-Christian, maybe maybe you've been coming for years and you've thought that you were, but you've realized that, hey, I don't know Christ. I don't know I don't know who he is. I, I've not, I mean, I've said it with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, but it's never showed up in the way I live. I mean, I I can come to church on Sunday and put on a good show, but it's never really made a difference in my life. Or maybe you're here today and you've never had any church background. Or maybe you had some, or maybe you walked away from the church, but but you're skeptical of this whole thing, but but you came in today wanting to kind of just, you know, please somebody, 
They invited you. You just want to get them off your back, and you want to, you know, I'll come, and then they'll leave me alone. I can say I, I came. What this means for you is this, that the inclination that you are following, that you think is leading you closer to God, is only leading you further away from God. That if you in this room are claiming, hey, I'm spiritual in my own way, not religious, but I'm spiritual and I don't really do the whole church thing. If you're not trusting Christ, it's only leading you further away from God. Did you know that in America, 80% of Americans call themselves Christians? In America, 50% of Americans call themselves born-again Christians. It's not any other kind, but that they, they call themselves born-again Christians. But half of those never show up to church. They believe there are multiple ways to God. They believe they can work their way into heaven. And I can't help but to think that there are some of you that are sitting out there in these seats today. And you, you, may, you may think these things, but what if God is over your shoulder while you're espousing your opinion about Him? What if He's already defined Himself what if, what if he really is, and I believe this, what if he really is going to one day judge sin? What if you in your sin are going to be judged by him? See, it doesn't have to be the end of the story for you. You don't have to live this life and live out as many years as you have knowing that day is coming and just dreading that day and, and trying to have as much fun as you can while you're here. Instead, Today, God holds out Christ to you. I hold out Christ to you. I say to you, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, He was hung on a tree, but it was not His curse that He took. It was ours. And it could be yours. He died for everyone who would ever believe in Him. He lived perfectly righteous, obedient life. For everyone who would ever believe in Him. And today, you don't have to walk out of here with that sin on you knowing that there's coming a day of judgment. You don't have to walk out of here just hoping that what you're doing is going to be enough. Always wondering. You can come to Christ today and say, I am disobedient and I am a sinner and I am wicked. Maybe not to the level of some, but... When I'm measured against the holiness of God, I'm as wicked as anybody. And I need Christ. I need to be forgiven. And today I humbly just fall before Him and ask Him to forgive me. You can walk out of here today knowing that your sins are forgiven, that His righteousness has been given to you, that you don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to earn favor with God but knowing that you've been made alive in Christ and He is pleased in you because He's pleased in Christ. You can know that your life from this point forward will take a new trajectory and you will begin this process of being conformed to the image of Christ. These things that you wrestle with that you think, boy, I wish I could just kick this habit or why can't I stop doing this? Those may not happen overnight, but He's going to launch you into this process of making you like Christ and making you holy in the practical outworking of your living. It's going to spend the rest of your life doing that. And you can live knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasing. I'm right with God. Not in my own merit, but in, in Christ's merit. And I'm resting in Him. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And when I fall, when I stray, 
by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, He's going to bring me back. Today, you can turn to Christ. You can turn from your sin and turn to God in Christ. You can find an existence that is truer than anything you've ever known. That fulfills every longing you've ever sought after. That gives you rest from all your striving and certainty from all your wondering. Because I know that in this room, if you today in this room are struggling with, I'm spiritual but not religious, but I'm wondering, is my spirituality really right? Come to Christ and know. The Bible says that we can know. We can know that we have salvation, that we have forgiveness of sin, that we have life. Church, who are the really spiritual among us? Only those who've been made alive in Christ. Turn to Him today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would accomplish Your will in this place today. God, I know that in this room today there are people who are right now far from You. The trappings of religion, the habits of religion have made them at times feel close. They have maybe fooled other people, at times fooled themselves. God, today I pray that You would strip away all the things that are tricking them. And God, I pray that in Your mercy and in Your grace that You would show them their condition before You. God, I pray that You would show them who Jesus really is. And God, that they would come to life and trust in Him and turn from their sin and be saved. God, I pray that You and Your mercy would do it for Your own beautiful name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This morning, church, we want to give you an opportunity to think about what's been said. Because the reality is we come to a message like this and it gets quiet in the room. And usually when it gets quiet, it either means that I'm not doing a very good job or the Spirit's really working. We come to a moment like this and we think, well, that's, that's good. That was over. And we rush through thinking about it. And we want to give you an opportunity to think about what's been said. We want you to process this. We want you to ask yourself and ask God, where am I with you? If you're here today and you're trusting in Christ and you're saved, I don't want to put unnecessary doubt in your mind. But nor would I be doing my job as a pastor if I could be content to let people sit in seats every week and continue to be deceived. We want to give you this opportunity. Ethan's going to begin to play and sing. We want you to process this and he's going to ask you at some point to stand and begin to sing and this is a response from us if you're here today and you're saved and you know hey it's not my inclinations that make me spiritual but it's christ then sing and respond is through these these words but if you're here today and you know that you're lost that you've never received christ and i'm going to be seated right down here on this front row and we would, I would invite you just while we're singing just to step out from where you are and come to see me. 
I would love to talk to you about the gospel, love to, love to help you to walk through trusting Christ. You don't need to come to me. I'm not a, not a priest where I'm going to give you something. But I'd love to be a pastor that can help lead you through what it means to trust Christ. If that's you today and you know you need to be saved, then come see me. If today you're here and you know this is the church that God's leading you to, or whatever the case may be, what, whatever God's leading you to, this is open time. We encourage you to be active and to move because a sermon is not complete until it is obeyed. And so if that means coming and kneeling and praying or going to a brother or sister and gathering with them and praying or coming and talking to me, whatever it means, say yes. Be obedient to him. Let's worship God as we respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.